Can we switch over? Yeah. I hope it's going to work this time. It usually does. Um, did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yes. yes. <laughs> I hope you had a uh, blessed time either with your family and either if you had the traditional Thanksgiving dinner with all the fixings or, you know, you just had a meal with somebody, somebody that you loved. Um, it's a time of year when things start to gear up for that holiday onslaught, isn't it? And it seems that time keeps passing us faster and faster. We have a fascination with time, don't we? Um, we ask the question, can you travel through time? Can you repeat time? What is time? Does it really exist? We're always trying to find ways to manage our time, save time, waste time, spend time, kill time, find time. But do we really know and understand what time is and why it exists? We have tons of sayings about time, like, almost like many proverbs. You probably know most and could probably finish some of them for me. Okay? Time waits for... Time keeps marching on. A stitch in time... Saves nine, yes. The time is right. The time is now. No time like the present. Take time to smell the... Very good. Time will tell. Third time's a... Uh, time heals. Time's up. Keeping time with music. One at a time. And time is money. We write songs about time. And just like that one we just sang, Turn, Turn, Turn. It was sung by the birds in the 60s, written by a man named Pete Seeger. Uh, from the band Green Day, a song called The Time of Your Life. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question, but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. Here's one from a band in my era, Chicago, which asked the philosophical question, does anybody really know what time it is? As I was walking down the street one day, being pushed and shoved by people trying to beat the clock, sounds like Good Friday, I mean, sorry, Black Friday. To some people it's good, to other people it's black. Oh no, I just don't know, and I said, yes, I said, does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? So I can't, if so, I can't imagine why. We've all got time enough to die. And finally, from one of my favorite songwriters, Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle, also asking a question. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing that I'd like to do is to save every day till eternity passes away, just to spend them with you. If I could make days last forever, if words could make wishes come true, I'd save every day like a treasure and then... Again, I would spend them with you. But there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I've looked around enough to know that you're the one I want to go through time with. And while we, we, quite, we don't quite fully understand time, we have made great attempts to harness time. 
Water clocks and sundials were used by the ancient Egyptians and Babylonians, and the hourglass used by Greeks and Romans. In the 12th century, Benedictine Catholic monks invented the mechanical clock to help remind them of the seven periods of devotion they were to observe throughout the day. It helped them not only keep track of their time, but to help synchronize and control the actions of people. Soon the mechanical clock became incorporated into life outside the monastery, and employers used it to synchronize and control the time and actions of their workers. The mechanical clock made it possible to regulate working hours, production, and standardization. Without it, the Industrial Revolution might never have happened. As author Neil Postman puts it, the clock was invented by men who wanted to devote themselves more rigorously to God, and it ended as the technology of greatest use to men who wished to devote themselves to the accumulation of money. Well, what is God's view of time? How does God want us to deal with time? In Ecclesiastes 3, which we just sang, the preacher begins to unfold this puzzle for us. What on earth are we supposed to do with our time? Let's read this together again, and let's do it slowly. Let's really take our time. Let's do it together. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. The first thing we want to learn in God's process of a God-filled life is to acknowledge our inability to control the events in our lives. The word time here in Ecclesiastes is not the chronological time as we know it. Rather, in the Hebrew, it is the idea that our lives are made up of events. The Hebrew word for time actually originates from the word for eternal. So we cannot understand time without understanding its relationship to eternity. Here in verses 1 through 8 are 14 pairs of events, which are in essence opposites of one another. We could even say they cancel one another out. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. 
a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And the author here says there is an appropriate time, a time for everything. I'm sure you've had the experience of doing something at an inappropriate time, much to your dismay and perhaps the amusement of your family. But for every appropriate action, there is a corresponding opposite action. And so, in a ways, they kind of cancel one another out. You might say this list of 14 pairs encompasses all of human life, all of human activity. And I think this is really the aim of the preacher here, to express the fact, like he has already done, that there is really nothing new under the sun. But I think he's also wanting to express the fact that these things go on and on in a particular kind of rhythm, and there isn't much that you can do about it. You're born, and then you die. You plant, and then the harvest season is over, and you uproot. We're probably seeing a little bit of that around Irvine these days. You build up, and then you tear down. Seems as though many businesses have been going out of existence uh, here in Irvine that have been around for a long time. Uh, The Denny's restaurant on Culver and the Five closed up recently. And you know, things are tough when an American institution like Denny's can no longer hack it in Irvine. These 14 pairs of events cancel one one another out. And if you were to add them up, they amount to a great big zero, a great big zero. But that's the way it goes, right? Isn't it? That's the way it goes. And as much as we'd like to think that we have some control over these things, we really have very little control. Jesus said it best in his Sermon on the Mount. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Stop worrying about these earthly things so much, as if you had a whole lot of control over them. Instead of rushing around as if you were a chicken with its head cut off, have you ever seen a chicken with its head cut off? Look it up on YouTube. It can still run around. Did you know that? It's really, really kind of a weird thing. It's not just the saying, it is true. But sometimes that's us, right? We run around without really thinking about what we're doing. We're just running around from one thing to the next, like a chicken with its head cut off. I was driving to a meeting the other night, And uh, I noticed a white Ford Mustang in the lane next to me as I pulled up to to the stoplight. And when the light turned green, the driver in the Mustang stepped on the gas like it was the beginning of the Indianapolis 500 or something. And he was way out in front of me, but I could see that in the distance, the light ahead was turning red. And so he had to stop at the red light, and I kind of just pull up next to him. (laughs) I didn't look over, didn't say anything. But uh, a few moments later, the light turns green. And guess what happens? You're right. Steps on the gas again and tears off like it's the beginning of the Indianapolis 500. 
Until, of course, the next, red, the next light turns red, and he's got to stop again. And then he proceeds to do this for the next two lights. The same thing happens again and again. And I had to chuckle to myself. But then I realized, that's me in life. I keep working my way down the road of life, herky-jerky, stop and start, worried about this and that, anxious over the smallest details of my life until I get a headache or maybe something worse. No, friends, things don't need to be like that. Yes, indeed, we must take care of business. We, there is indeed a time and a season for everything under heaven. But it doesn't have to be the same old, same old. You get up every day to punch the clock, go to class, make your breakfast, whatever it is that the routine dictates. But we mindlessly go through this routine day after day, rushing from one stoplight to the next hoping I won't be late for the next appointment, whatever that appointment is. If we would only accept the fact that there are certain things in life that we really have no control over, then maybe we we would just slow down a little bit. I've been trying to do that this year. I've been making a conscious attempt to slow down and take time, take my time in just about everything I do. Why? Because I have seen that this life is precious. There is so much of it that we can simply miss if we're always concerned about the small things in life. Instead, I would truly like to live every moment to its fullest, as if it were my last. Because, quite frankly, it might be. Earlier this year, I had a health scare. Some of you know about that. And I think it's safe to say that it was about, I was about one or two heartbeats away from not being here on this earth anymore. I think it could have gone either way, and only God knows for sure. But I also know that God knows the time and date that I will breathe my last breath, and my heart will beat its last beat. I really don't have much control over that. I need to accept that fact but also trust in God's greater knowledge of time and eternity. We have to realize and accept the fact that we don't have much control over things in our lives. So why do we still worry about them? But we can understand that there is a beautiful rhythm to life, and that, in fact, God created it that way. This is, in fact, what the preacher goes on to say in verse In verses 9, 10, and 11, he says, What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on man. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The second step in learning God's process for the purpose-filled life is this, to put on God's spectacles for life. To put on his spectacles for life. Here the preacher makes an interesting observation. He asks, 
What does the worker gain from his toil? What does he end up with after all these things add up to zero? Is he any further ahead? He says, I have seen the burden that men, that God has laid on men. There's a burden that God has laid on us. What, what is this burden? Well, it's found in these three things. In verse 11, he said, He has made everything beautiful in its time. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Yes, in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. He stepped back and he said to himself, pretty good. In fact, beautiful. There is a beautiful rhythm that God has created in life. There is a beauty and symmetry to all that God does. We see it in the stars. Every night I look up in the sky and I see the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper pretty much in the same configuration that I see it every night. Maybe in a little bit different position because of the position of the earth. Every morning the sun rises to greet us and with a new day. And every night the moon rises and we see the reflection of the sun in it. It's beautiful, isn't it? It is. Every season, every growth cycle, every birth, every death, everything as God has created, it is beautiful. I respond in worship best in nature. When I'm in nature, I sense the beauty of what God has created. And I begin to have a small, tiny, minute inkling of the character and nature of our vast, enormous, eternal God. God has made everything beautiful in its time. But number two, God has also set eternity in the hearts of men. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. We have been created eternal beings. Do you know that? Do you realize that? We are eternal beings. That's one of the things that separates us from the rest of creation. Humans have a sense of eternity because it has been placed in our hearts on purpose. God has done that. We wonder what happens to us when we die. I don't think animals think in that manner. At least, uh, I don't know of any evidence or research to prove otherwise. Our little dog, Zoe, doesn't think about what's going to happen in her future. She doesn't worry about where her life is headed. She's pretty much, she pretty much thinks about the location of her pack. Because where her pack is, that is us, her family. That's where her food and water and resources and exercise and discipline and affection come from. And if she has those things, she's pretty much happy. She's happy eating, drinking, sleeping, walking, and pooping. But that's not true about Homo sapiens, is it? We think about the future. We think about our jobs and promotions. We think about who we're going to marry. We think about what we're going to study, about if we have enough money to retire on, if our health will be strong as we get older. We think and we worry about these things, don't we? Because we have something deeper in our hearts and our souls. And that something deeper is called eternity. And yet, even though we have eternity in our hearts, the preacher says, 
We cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is perplexing to us. This is a burden to us. We ponder the universe, the cycle of the stars, the cycle of life, the seasons that come and go, the turkey we consume every year at Thanksgiving, the lights and the Christmas tree we put up at Christmas year after year, decade after decade. Time marches on and we keep going, and yet we truly don't understand it. What a great burden God has put on us. I think that this causes us, this causes in us a great hunger and thirst, a great curiosity. That's where philosophy comes from. It's the pondering of human existence. The great question, is there an eternity? There's a famous, often misquoted line from the great French Um, French mathematician uh, and philosopher, Blaise Pascal, uh, about the God-shaped vacuum in people's hearts that can only be filled by God. I don't know if you've ever heard of that quote. It's often quoted by preachers, that there is a God-shaped vacuum in people's hearts that can only be filled by God. After doing a little bit of research, let's see, after doing a little bit of research, I found out that um, that quote isn't exactly correct. Um, he didn't really say that, per se. Uh, but, I think, but he did say this, and I think this is where um, the idea came from. Talking about this pondering, this burden, Pascal said this. What does this craving, this helplessness, proclaim? but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all of that now remains is the, em- is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Or perhaps in the words of another great philosopher, Calvin, from Calvin and Hobbes, (laughs) he says this, If people sat outside and looked up at the stars each night, I'll bet they'd live differently. And Hobbes asks, how so? Well, Calvin says, when you look into infinity, you realize there are more important things than what people do all day. This is a great burden. But this burden is a blessing. If we only look at life through the lenses that God sees, it's like looking through binoculars. If we're only concerned with the things under the sun, here and now, the temporal, what we can understand in our own power, it's like looking through the wrong side of a pair of binoculars. If I look through the wrong side, I can see things, I can sort of make out people. Hi, Janessa. I think that's Janessa. Uh, I, I, 
I can see people back there. Hi, back there, wave in the back so I can see you. But it's very disorienting. In fact, it's very confusing. But that's not the way binoculars were made to be used. They're made to be used to look through this end. And that's how God's vision is. When I look through them, I can see everything very clearly. I can see Herman there. Hi, Herman. In fact, I can see further than ever before. That's what it's like to see things through God's spectacles, with his eternal focus. We're no longer worried about the things that make us anxious. We can simply appreciate the the beautiful rhythm of life. We can simply appreciate the beautiful rhythm of life. How can this burden be a blessing? It's really about perspective, isn't it? It really is. If you see life as a wearisome, unending cycle of day in, day out, punch the clock in, punch the clock out, go home, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed, only to wake up the next day and do it all over again, a time to wake and a time to sleep, then yes, life is dreary and out of focus. But if we begin to understand eternity, then everything is beautiful. It is there for a purpose. There is a reason for everything. As Romans 8.28 tells us, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Jesus said, God knows every sparrow that falls out of a tree. There's a beautiful hymn whose lyrics go, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And this is what the preacher is saying when he states with confidence in verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever he has already, whatever, whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past into account. So what's the third leg in the process of learning God's purpose for our lives? It's to fully embrace our God-given purpose. To fully embrace our God-given purpose. Now, what is this purpose, you say, and how can we discover it? Am I supposed to be a scientist, an accountant, a pastor, 
a mom or dad, a teacher, a doctor, a soldier, an actor, a stylist, an artist, a musician? God would say yes to all of those. Maybe not all at the same time. But yes, certainly, whatever and however God has designed you to be. I dare say that the only things God would not have you be are a thief, murderer, adulterer, cheat, or you fill in the blank, whatever that is. You know what those things are. You're all intelligent people. But beyond these detrimental activities to humankind, God says yes to any of those. Now, those may be your occupations or preoccupations, but those are not your purpose in life. Get that. Those are not your purpose in life. Those are not your God-given purpose. Here are the three things that are part and parcel of your God-given purpose in life. Verse 12 says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. Be happy and do good. It's pretty simple, right? But if you're doing good, you're not thinking about yourself, are you? I think we're most unhappy when we are most self-centered. And when it's all about me, 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 you're not being a very happy person. And you're not making everyone else around you very happy either. In fact, probably pretty miserable. Notice those two, two things go together. Be happy and do good. Be happy and do good. The New Testament offers this in addition. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, and it's printed there in your, in your outline. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifice, sacrifices God is pleased. As Al said, even with a small gift to Mexicali, God is pleased. Do good and share with others. This is pleasing to God. And while it's great to do good and share with others during the holiday season, it would be a whole lot more helpful to spread that out over the year. Those who need help get plenty of it during the holidays, but they need help during the other parts of the year as well. The second thing is in verse 13, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toils. This is a gift of God. This is a gift of God. Did you eat and drink on Thursday? I hope you did. I did. A little bit too much. Did you find satisfaction in all of that? Yes, it only lasts for an evening. That is until you begin to... Uh, Enjoy all the leftovers the next day. Do you find satisfaction in, in your toils, in your everyday work lives? Are you thankful for that? Did you express gratitude to God and to the ones around you for all the great blessings that you have experienced this past year? Yes, even the challenges and difficulties. Because even in those challenges and difficulties, you saw God's hand working in your life. 
Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say in the New Testament. From 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Again, printed in your program. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. How do you eat and drink to the glory of God? How do you eat and drink to the glory of God? Well, let's ask the opposite question. Is there a way to eat and drink not to the glory of God? What way would that be? What do you think? Gluttony. Thank you. Yes. Gluttony. Anything else? Any other thoughts? How about selfishly, thoughtlessly, in haste, without really thinking about what you're doing? So there are a great many things that we do not to the glory of God. In fact, probably most of us would say a lot of what we do during the day is not to the glory of God. We just go mindlessly through our routine. So then what are ways that we can eat, drink, work, dance, sing, play, whatever, to the glory of God? What do you think? Is it doing them with thankful, thoughtful, humble, sincere, grateful hearts? And when we do these things to the glory of God, does it make God's glory shine a little bit more before people? I think so. So that is part of our God-given purpose in life, to give God the glory in everything we do. Have you fully embraced that? in your life? Why not? Well, here's the third thing in God's purpose for your life, found in verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. The third thing is to revere God, to revere God, or to fear him. To offer God great respect and honor. The third thing is to revere God. When we come to the realization that we control nothing, when we put on God's eternal perspective and see things in light of eternity, when we fully embrace God's purpose in our lives, it instills in us great humility. But it also creates in us great security. Great security. We're no longer flailing away at life, racing down the road to the next stoplight, only to be frustrated again and again and again. No. We move purposefully through life, down the road, looking to the left and to the right, enjoying the beauty of life God is creating, moment by moment, step by step. You see, God has his hand upon you and his hand is at work in you. He is working to redeem the world through you. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How can Paul be so confident in this? 
because he stared into the face of eternity. He stared into the face of eternity. He has seen God with his own spiritual eyes, and he knows the character of God and his love for his children. Jesus told us many years ago, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me ask you one thing. Where do time and eternity intersect? At what point do time and eternity cross each other? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Everywhere. Everywhere. Yes, that's true. God is everywhere. That's true. Any other thoughts? Well, we're going to be celebrating part of it in a few weeks. December 25th may, may not be the actual date of Jesus' birth, but it's as good as any. Yes, when Jesus came into the world as a tiny baby, eternity pierced the veil of time, and Jesus stepped through that veil. And when Christ hung on that cross and he breathed his last, when he was buried in the tomb and then on the third day he rose from the dead, eternity gathered up time in his arms and he brought it all together and it all made sense again somehow. Something was very different in the world after that first Christmas and that first Easter We stare into the face of eternity when we stare not at the face of a clock, but at the face of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Our problem is is not that that we pursue our life's purpose. Our problem is that we aim too low. C.S. Lewis famously said, Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. So where are you today, beloved? Where is your heart? Is your eye trained and focused on eternity? Or are you troubled and worried about the troubles of life? You know, we all experience those things. Whether you believe in Jesus this morning or not, we all will face trials. Jesus told us that. He didn't try to paint a pretty picture. He didn't try to sugarcoat things. But he did promise that he would be with us. And if we trust and believe that, God, that Jesus has eternity in his grasp in one hand and us in the other, then why are we so heavy-hearted? Why do we put ourselves through so much pain and agony over this or that? Do we believe that there is a God and that he is watching over us? Just as he watches over every creature, even the smallest sparrow? Um, I asked Jack and the worship team to lead us in this last song in particular 
because we need to remind ourselves exactly what it is that we do believe in. And as we prepare for that, as we prepare for that, I'd like us to recite together the Apostles' Creed. So I'm not quite done yet, Jeff, so don't switch over the slides. But I'd like us to recite together the, Apostle, the Apostles' Creed. It contains all the relevant, important facts of the Christian faith and the things that we believe and hope for. So let's read this together. All right? Let's start. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen.